podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This is the smell of the leftover tuna fish sandwich you left in your lunchbox over the weekend in a wimpy trash bag. Wimpy, wimpy, wimpy! Blech! And this is the smell of that same sandwich in a hefty, ultra-strong trash bag. Hefty, hefty, hefty! Ah, <sighs> smell the difference? Hefty Ultra Strong has Arm & Hammer with continuous odor control, so no matter what's inside your trash... Hmm. You can stay one step ahead of Stinky. And for a bigger job, try the superior strength of hefty large black bags. My name's Chris Brooker, and if you're not listening to Stu's Wrestling Podcast, then you need to take a long, hard look at yourself. <laughs> You're listening to Stu's Wrestling Podcast. It's time for British Wrestling's Sharpshooter, your host, Stu Palmer. My guest today is none other than former TNA Impact lead play-by-play commentator, Mr. Todd Kendley. Here, Todd announcing on Primetime Live every week on Fight TV. So we get to hear about what's going on currently there restrictions for TV due to COVID and how they've got around it and it is absolute top class the production values which you'll get to see so yeah check it out on Fight we also talk about his time in Australia for Hulk Hogan's tour in 2009 where he's asked specifically to come over and commentate the events you get to see the differences between commentating for wrestling and commentating MMA Todd has covered MMA events for a long long time so we get to see how it changes how he adapts Stuff that he takes from his wrestling commentary into MMA commentary and vice versa. Without further ado, it's episode 57 with Primetime Live and Championship Wrestling from Hollywood's Todd Kennelly. Enjoy. It is my esteemed honour and privilege to have all the way from California today lead play-by-play commentator for UWN's Primetime Live. It's Mr. Todd Kennelly. How's it going, Todd? It's going, Stewie. How are you, man? All good, man. All good. Before I get into when you started watching wrestling, I'm going to do it opposite way around. I'm going to be talking about your career. But my first question, before all that, is how's COVID been? I know it's a bit of a cliched sentence, but yeah, it's just to see how your experience has been over in California, because I know they differ from state to state with you guys in America. For sure. Uh, It's been, you know, it's been tough here in California. California... As governor is very strict, you know, not taking any chances. And so uh, right around March 14th, everything just you know, kind of shut down. And it was, uh, it was tough to deal with because, you know, on top of calling wrestling, pro wrestling, I also call MMA. And it was, uh, we had a Lights Out Extreme Fighting MMA event that airs out here on uh, Fox Sports Affiliate. But it was the day of the weigh-in, so the day before the event that we found out that it was canceled, you know, and uh, it was just, it was crazy. And, you know, when when this all started, at first we heard, you know, maybe two weeks to a month, you know, and here we are six months later. Uh, so it was pretty tough to deal with, but I'm, I'm so happy that now I'm kind of back on track and back active and calling weekly with primetime live so if i if i look a little rough today it's because uh it's because it's been a crazy few days so over the weekend we shot um six episodes of championship wrestling from hollywood so we shot uh, we filmed on saturday and sunday and so fans out there you know in the uk you can catch that on fight tv 
Uh, if you guys do, you get fight, yeah? Fights, you, get, you can get everything. It, it's everyone. just, I think anywhere in the world now, if you go into fight, it's just universal, isn't it? it it's it's yeah. brilliant, all the stuff you can get. But yeah, we can definitely get it here. And I know, you know, worldwide as well too, Todd, it's it's widely available. Yeah, so so shot six episodes and all the championship wrestling from Hollywood stuff's archived on there. Fans maybe aren't familiar with it. And you'll get a closer look at a network talent that maybe you'll see pop up on on primetime live so that was the weekend and then last night of course we were live for you know an hour and a half live on pay-per-view our fourth episode of primetime live so it just seems crazy i mean a month just went by like that and uh and it's been it's been a fun ride so any fans in attendance at all not yet. Not, not at all. Right, okay. Yeah, I just wanted to chat with that one just to see. Yeah, not yet. Not in California. I know there's certain places in the U.S., or especially if it's like an outdoor venue. I mean, we see what AEW's doing uh, with socially distancing their fans and having them kind of up higher in the venue. And maybe we'll get there hopefully soon. But so far, I think for anyone who's watched Primetime Live, like Thunder Studios is a really cool venue. It's just an old school vibe, kind of studio wrestling, but it looks great. I mean, they've got all kinds of intelligent lights going around on the stage. And at first, I really thought that it was going to be glaringly obvious that there weren't fans. And I thought as a broadcaster, it was going to be a real challenge because when you're calling a match, you can kind of feed on that energy of the crowd. And if the crowd's, you know, chanting or something, as a commentator, you know, it allows you to lay out for a minute and let the moment breathe. But now with no fans, we're kind of wall to wall and have to fill the dead air and really be the storytellers and kind of be the fans in attendance, if you will, and bring the energy when there's a big, a big move or big action. But watching it back, you know, I, I, I don't think it, obviously we want the fans there and we want the energy, but I don't think it's a deal breaker. And it allows the in-ring talent to be more vocal. Right? And, and it allows the in-ring talent to be more focused. Whereas before, you know, you might see a big move and they'll go to the crowd. But now, it's, it, I mean, it just feels more like a, a fight, you know, just a traditional fight. It's one-on-one. The strikes really resonate because there's no, you really hear all those chops just echo off the walls. And, I mean, it's going to be a snapshot in time. We obviously don't want it to be like this forever or for very much longer. But, it, you know, I think it's made in-ring talent work harder. It's made... People like me on, at the commentary booth work harder, and it's making us better. And, it, and at least we're still delivering to the fans watching at home. It's good. It's, it's nice, nice to hear that you can do your bread and butter again, you know, at the end of the day. So that's good. I want to scoot back. I became aware of you many years ago, and it was through watching TNA. So how was your time in TNA? That's what I wanted to ask you. Yeah, I loved my time at TNA. Uh, the way I got there was kind of crazy. So I had, I had done a couple of projects with uh, Hulk Hogan and Eric Bischoff and Hulk was, I grew up, I was, you know, huge Hulkamaniac. Yeah, I grew up in the eighties and, you know, just grew up through that whole era, uh, which I just think was, you know, kind of the golden era, a magical time uh, in the wrestling business, just larger than life characters. So then fast forward and I worked on, uh, Hulk Hogan Celebrity Championship Wrestling, which, you know, was a blast to work on. And then got to go to Australia uh, for Hulk's uh, Australian tour in 2009, where, um, you know, Hulk Hogan and Ric Flair was the main event in all the towns. The opportunity I never thought I'd gotten, I would get because 
Flair had already had his match with Shawn Michaels at WrestleMania 24. I, no one thought Flair was going to get back in the ring, but he got in there to mix it up with the Hulkster, and I got to call it, and Eric Bischoff was on color, and I think that throughout that tour, I wore a lot of hats. I did a lot of production stuff. I worked on, you know, scripting the formats of the events and lighting cute. I mean, everything, you name it. And so I know that Hulk and Eric kind of wanted, they were, they were just then going to TNA and they wanted to work me in. And it, it ended up taking a couple of years, but all of a sudden I got a call from Bruce Pritchard and he's like, Hey, what are you doing Thursday? Can you fly out and we'll kind of try you out? So I'm thinking I'm going in for an audition. And when I got there, uh, they had me go to like the final kind of creative meeting and Eric's like, hey, everybody, this is Todd Kennelly. He's calling the first hour live with, with JB, with Jeremy Borash. <laughs> like, this is news to me. Uh, so, I mean, man, talk about a baptism by fire. But JB was great. I remember first match I called was uh, Zima Ion and Rob Van Dam for the X Division title. This was just coming out of that year's Bound for Glory. So it was a good time to kind of jump in when it was, you know, things were still hot from Bound for Glory and kind of a reset button for the next year. And that's, that's what started it. But, I mean, yeah, if, if you would have told me as a kid that I would work with Hulk Hogan, that I would call Sting matches, that I would call matches with AJ Styles and Kurt Angle and, you know, Jeff Hardy and all these guys and people that I came up in the business with, like Samoa Joe and Kazarian and Daniels, because we all started at UPW together back in the late 90s, early 2000s. I mean, it was just a great ride, man. It ended too soon, <laughs> sadly, but I sure loved it when I was there. No one can take it away from you. Do you know what I mean? It's on your resume, and you got and you got there, man. It was uh, incredible. Which matches stick out for you during your time commentating there? Not to say you're going to play favourites, but yeah, some matches maybe for the listeners and viewers to digest from your side, which you in, in, enjoyed calling, should I say? Yeah, I mean for sure that like just because it was such a, a crazy way it all came together. Just that that Rob Van Dam Zima match definitely stands out because we had like an you know an on camera. I didn't tell anybody, no friends, no family. I just went there because I didn't even know I was going to be on television, you know. So then it's just like I've got everybody hitting me up, like, dude, what is this, you know? And and I just it was such a weight off the back because the, the you know the call went well, the match went well. Uh, other than that. Um, AJ Styles and Kurt Angle at Slammiversary 2013, where AJ was kind of doing the lone wolf gimmick. So he was a little bit more uh, measured and methodical in the ring. But I mean, it, then it really picked up. So getting to call a Kurt Angle AJ match was great. Uh, lockdown, Jeff Hardy and Bully Ray, where Bully Ray was exposed as leader of the Aces and Eights, and everybody threw trash over the cage like it was, you know, when Hogan joined the NWO. I mean, that was a cool moment. There's, there's, you know, there's tons, but those are, those are some of the ones that really stick out. And then prior to that, like I said, calling a, a Hulk Hogan, Ric Flair match, I never thought that would ever happen. So that, that's definitely a, a highlight. I was at Flair's retirement, WrestleMania 24. I was a bit, I was angry. I was angry. I was angry that he came out of retirement, personal opinion. I did go on to meet him at WrestleCon. Obviously you, you called his return. Well, what were your feelings about him coming back? in your personal opinion? Uh, I mean, yeah, as a purist, it wasn't the, you know, it wasn't the greatest thing. WWE gave him a, a proper send off and a great send off. You can't ask, you know, they had the whole thing leading up that, Hey, you know, when you lose a match, it's it. And he made it all the way to mania with the showstopper. 
and you can't ask for a better farewell. And then the next night on Raw, all the superstars coming out, you know, paying homage to him. But look, you know, at the end of the day, there's real life too. And I know from time to time, uh, Flair's finances and stuff have been an issue and probably had an opportunity, you know, to go out to Australia. Uh, and I know Australia was really hungry for, for Hulk because he was supposed to be on a SmackDown tour of Australia years prior when he was on that, you know, WWE run 2002, that, that era and got pulled or whatever happened. And, and so I know that was a long time coming. So I think Flair saw an opportunity. Look, I can go to Australia. I can, I can work with Hogan. We can, you know, draw some money. And I mean, I can't, I can't fault him for that. You know, was it ideal? Was it the right thing to do? Only he really knows that. But obviously, I'm sure it weighed heavy on his mind, but he decided it was um, the right move at the time for him, probably personally more than professionally. But it was great fun. I mean, we you know, in Melbourne, Australia, there was probably 10,000, 11,000 fans there, people you know, decked in the red and yellow, and I'm sitting there calling it, and it was like a surreal. It was like being in a dream, you know? How was it sampling the Australian culture while you were there? Yeah, it was great. You know, we, we got a little bit of downtime. Uh, so got to kind of see the sights a little bit. We went to, you know, like Bondi Beach. I mean, uh, some of the friends and the crew that were on there, we went to like a uh, wildlife preserve and held a koala, you know. Uh, we saw the Sydney Opera House. So, yeah, I mean, it, and the people were great. Everybody there was so nice, uh, and they were great fans, great energy at the at the shows. And so, yeah, I mean, it was just great experience all around. You've been with Championship Wrestling from Hollywood and Arizona. You've been doing that a long, long time. What are some of your favorite times working, working for David Marquez and the team? Because I know you've been there for a long, long time. Yeah, I've been there. You know, the only times I left were when – my TNA run, but even then during that time, they had their first red carpet rumble, which is basically our version of the Royal rumble. Uh, and I, I even, I just took a chance and went like, well, I'm not going to miss this. And even while I was at TNA, I went and called that made a little uh, guest appearance, but yeah, I, you know, I started the championship wrestling from Hollywood's been on for, this is our 10th year. So full decade, uh, you know, some of the memories, um, the early tapings, when we first started, we were right on Hollywood Boulevard there at uh, Columbia Square Studios. And looking back, I mean, those tapings were jam-packed with talent. Uh, Scrap Iron Adam Pierce was the and – and it was NWA Championship Wrestling mm -hmm. from Hollywood back then. Yeah. So Adam Pierce was the World Heavyweight Champion, and then he feuded with Blue Demon Jr. Uh, Demon won the title during that time. So the first, you know, masked uh, Mexican luchador to hold the – 10 pounds of gold. So that was historic. Uh, back then, the, the Young Bucks were on those early tapings. Uh, Trevor Murdoch, you know, who's now the NWA national champion, mm -hmm. happened last week on Primetime Live. He was on those tapings with Lance Cade. Uh, Brian Danielson, you know, um, Daniel Bryan was on those early tapings. So it was crazy. I mean, looking back at where talent went, uh, Finn Balor, Prince Devitt was there. I mean, it was, it was crazy. Uh, but some of the memories, I know one that I really loved calling was Adam Pierce and Colt Cabana had a great feud over the NWA World's Heavyweight Championship. And Cabana was always chasing and Pierce would always find a way just to edge him out or cheat or do something. 
and then finally, uh, Cabana won the title on an episode of Championship Wrestling from Hollywood. And uh, we were at a place called the Showcase Theater. It was like an old, old, like classic Art Deco Hollywood, you know, movie theater. Because when movies first kind of started, that was like a big night out. People got dressed up. And the old original Hollywood movie theaters really fancy, all kinds of decorative ornate stuff on the walls and so that was one of those theaters so it it kind of worked for championship wrestling from hollywood but cabana finally beat pierce for the title excalibur was on the call with me the place went nuts um you know so that was a that was a really cool moment i mean we've had we've had great stuff and then one that really personally to me was really cool that ties into the tna stuff was after uh after I left TNA, after I was released from TNA, I remember my last day there, so it was Slammiversary uh, 2013, and I caught up with AJ Styles at the hotel afterwards. And, you know, was just talking to him about, well, this is it for me, you know, for now. And so I remember AJ was so cool, and he was such a nice guy. But he's just like, he's like, I've been here a long time talking about TNA. And I hate when this company makes dumb decisions and this is a dumb decision. And he's like, you're great at what you do. And I remember he told me that he's like, I hope you go to WWE and shove it up, you know, TNAs, you know what, <laughs> that never happened. But so a while later, AJ had left TNA and gone to New Japan Pro Wrestling mm-hmm. and was the IWGP heavyweight champion. Well, championship wrestling from Hollywood does a few big events each year, one being the red carpet rumble. And one of the matches that year was AJ defending the IWGP title against Trent Beretta. Now, this is the first time I had seen AJ since we were both in TNA together. So uh, I didn't see him in the back that day. I think he got there a little later. And I'm out uh, calling, you know, the first matches of the show. And now it comes times for, time for AJ's match. And he comes out, makes his entrance, rolls in the ring. And they're about to do the formal, like, championship in-ring ring announcements and AJ looks over and sees me at the table rolls out of the ring comes over he's like hey brother it's great to see you man great to see you you know like interrupts the ring announcements just to say <laughs> hi, rolls back yeah. in and that's you know the yeah. phenomenal AJ Styles right and so what a class act so that you know to me personally it was just a great moment and that happened on the Hollywood show what an endorsement sell off AJ as well giving those words man I bet that was just amazing amazing any guys within championship wrestling who you felt have flourished, have come through, who you didn't expect would, you know, talent-wise? Again, not playing favourites, but yeah. some guys that have well, gone on to really do well and that have surprised you maybe from your perspective. For sure. I mean, I look at guys like, so Scorpio Sky, no surprise, right? He, he was a big fixture on the show. He was, you know... Uh, our television champion many times over. He was there from the beginning. And, I mean, he's a guy so talented. I'm so glad that he's finally getting, you know, his his just due uh, with with um, with SCU on, on AEW and then breaking out and as a singles talent now too. Uh, but that's a guy that just had some roadblocks along the way and had ch- WWE had chances, was at TNA, um, but just never seemed to break through. And so I'm so happy that he's finally getting that opportunity with AEW. So he was one, but the one that surprised me and still, you know, speaking of AEW was, was uh, Peter Avalon because Mm -hmm. when, when Avalon first started, 
at Hollywood, he was just the skinniest, scrawniest, you know, guy you've ever seen. And he did his whole kind of character was, I'm the biggest man in pro wrestling. He'd kind of walk around like this, but I mean, it was like, he was so skinny. It just looked like a kid. And over the years, he's just come into his own. He's become such a confident uh, performer. He's put on a lot of size and he wore a lot of hats. He was a producer uh, at championship wrestling from Hollywood and Arizona. He's done so much. And so he would have been the one like looking at him 10 years ago. I, I would not have bet on Avalon, but now he proved me wrong because he's just come so far and now is, is, you know, part of AEW and doing well and traveling out every week and, you know, nothing against Avalon back then. I just, you know, it's just a testament to how hard he worked. Absolutely. I want to segue into you calling MMA and how it, how it differs, you know, commentating from wrestling to MMA. Just, just the difference, yeah. just the differences for you and how you have to change it up. Obviously covering, covering the sport of MMA and I know you've worked for a lot of promotions. So yeah, just yeah. your experience with that and calling the MMA, if you, if you will. Sure. I mean, there was a learning curve for me at first, you know, I really had to, I had to learn the sport. You know, I, I got on the mat and did, you know, rolled around a little bit, did some jujitsu just to kind of get a feel for some of the grappling um, and to know kind of how to call it and to try and see stuff before it would happen. But, you know, it took a little while, but early on, I mean, I, at first UPW branched off and made a company called Valor Fighting and I was the UPW commentator. So they're just like, well, you're going to call this. I'm like, well, I, I don't know. I don't know how to call MMA, but okay. I'd watched plenty of it, you know. Um, <clears throat> so I started learning. And then next thing you know, uh, Elite XC, Pro Elite, which was on uh, CBS out here in Showtime and, you know, was a, like kind of trying to be the number two behind uh, UFC or try and, you know, be the number one. But, you know, that's not going to happen. Uh, needed somebody to call their undercard fights. So I submitted what little tape I had from Valor and I lo and behold, I get the call. So then they, uh, they put me on. Um, and I had, you know, they'd, they'd always put me with a fighter or somebody that would really know the ins and outs of, um, of strategy and technique and it, and it worked. So it was kind of funny wrestling related. Uh, I would go on and call the, the undercard fights and then we would tag out and the main broadcast team at the time was Mauro Ronaldo and Goldberg. <laughs> so, you know, it's like, it always comes back to wrestling <laughs> somehow, but yeah, in terms of calling MMA, like I just think uh, it's just more prep in terms of wrestling. Like once I know a talent in wrestling, I don't really have to take a bunch more notes. I know I follow what they're doing. Um, I know their move set. I know their character. I, I know what makes them tick. And I can just go call a match. Whereas MMA, you really have to be, you really have to educate yourself in terms of their record, what gym they train out of, what style that they have, how their wins come, you know, do they knock people out? Do they submit people? And how they lose? Are they, are they susceptible on the ground? Uh, you know, are they, are, do they get knocked out when they're standing? And just all those little intricacies, and which is kind of funny because sometimes you'll prep a ton for a fight and a guy will get knocked out in 30 seconds or tapped in 30 seconds. It's like, 
well, that was a lot of work, you know, for nothing. But I mean, think about those guys. They put in a full training camp to have a fight end in 30 seconds. So it's just, it's more unpredictable. You know, wrestling, you get a sense of the pacing and you kind of know how to call it. But MMA, you might be in the middle about talking about somebody's background and then there's a, a head kick and the fight's over and you just have to be able to transition. You know, you just kind of ha- always have to be on your toes. But I think both for me have helped one another because like for my MMA commentary, I brought a little bit of the wrestling storytelling and and just kind of quips and, and entertaining calls and, you know, references. And then when I call wrestling, um, I bring a lot more of my MMA kind of like breaking down the action and strategy and call it as, you know, a, a, a true sport. So I think doing both has helped me at both over the years. Who were some of Todd Kennelly's favorite fighters in terms of MMA, past, present, past, present, future? Which guys you enjoy watching? Which guys have you enjoyed calling fights of as well? Yeah, uh, well, like I had a chance, uh, I had a chance through Elite XE to call like Shayna Baszler early on when she was still in the cage, and I mean she was just putting people away with arm bars left and right. Um, the pro wrestling f- fan in me, you know, likes somebody like, and I know he's got, he's, you know, his mouth gets him in a lot of trouble and his actions get him in a lot of trouble. But I mean, I'd be remiss if I said I'm not entertained by Conor McGregor and that I haven't, you know, enjoyed watching him through the years. And he's, you know, he's, he's a perfect guy in terms of being marketable in MMA because you're either going to be a fan and you want him to go out there and, and finish people or you can't stand him and you want to see him get his, you know, block knocked off. So that, I mean, so people are going to pay to see him win. People are going to pay to see him lose. And that's, you know, that's the thing. That's the thing with MMA too. It's hard to be on top for, for a long time because you can get, you can get finished in it. You know, career can be short lived. You can only take so many, you know, so many knockouts. So the other guys that I really respect, I think somebody uh, like an Anderson Selva that held that, um, middleweight title for so long and so many successive uh, title defensives. Uh, he was a guy that until there were some chinks in his armor, he got a little older. Um, he was a guy that just looked unstoppable for, for a long time. Um, you know, the, the Stefan Bonner forced Griffin brawl on the ultimate fighter that looked like something out of a Rocky movie uh, that really helped turn a lot of people onto the sport. That was one of the most important fights in history. I mean, that was just, a slugfest. So that, you know, liked both of those guys, you know, looking back the, the, um, the feud with like Tito Ortiz and Chuck Liddell was great. You know, there's, there's been, uh, there's been a lot just, I, I, you know, I tend to kind of maybe side with the, uh, cause now it's, it's become so saturated. It seems like every time you turn around, there's a UFC on ESPN or ESPN plus or this or that. But back in the day, they were more few and far between. So it just yeah. seems like, the fights mattered a little more. I was going to ask you, what about some... Actually, I know I'm going to ask you about thoughts on Colby Covington. I know he splits opinion. What are Todd Kennelly's thoughts on him? Yeah, he's another guy that just... Hey, he talks a big game. He's controversial. But I don't think it's fabricated. Like, I think those are his true political beliefs, you know? I mean, I, I think it's... That's his conviction, but he rubs a lot of people the wrong way, but then he goes in the cage and backs it up. Mm. He's another guy that, you know, 
that fan base or that like the, the pro Trump fan base is going to be, this is our guy. And, you know, so it almost becomes political because then the other side is like, Oh, I, I hope this guy goes out there and, you know, and just gets not cold. So, you know, fans are invested in him either way. And that's really the key. That's really the key to success. So, I mean, and, and, and as a fighter, I mean, he's coming off of a, you know, impressive win. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, you can't knock him, you know, Woodley, Woodley, Woodley is aging though. I've got to, I've got to be honest. And I think if he fights Usman, Usman again, I see the same outcome. I'm not mega, mega. I'm more pro wrestling, but obviously I take a liking to the MMA. So I don't yeah. know. I don't know. I don't know the most. I don't claim to be the most well-versed in the MMA, Todd, but from what I can see, I just, uh, I also, he's got to get in there with Jorge, but obviously they'll, they'll want to get, they want to have fans there, don't they? For that yes. fight, you, you can understand that. You can understand that one being delayed. As 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 with the boxing with um, Fury and Anthony Joshua, they're yeah. not put they're not putting the big fights on until they know they can get the fans in. So, and I you know and I can see that. And again, when this all started, nobody thought it was going to go on this long. No. Um, so now you know adjustments are being made. But yeah, there's there's certain fights in all the combat sports, whether it be boxing or MMA, that would be, you just need that grand stage spectacle. And I think it would be doing the fighters and the fans really a disservice uh, to not, because like, you know, for instance, someone like a Tyson Fury, you know, you need to see in that, that big setting with a big crowd. I mean, he's such a larger than life guy. That's why, again, I mean, I, I liken it to, Okay, I'm, I'm glad WWE had WrestleMania, but it didn't, you know, WrestleMania in the Performance Center didn't feel like WrestleMania. No. And a big, you know, a big Tyson Fury heavyweight clash in an arena with no fans, just, it's not the same. Not the same. Who, who wins between Fury and Joshua, in your opinion? I'm going to ask you that. <laughs> I've got to ask you. I've got to ask you some UK-based questions. That's it's a tough, it's a tough call, man. I just think, you know, God, I, I never bet against Tyson Fury just because. Yeah. I mean, you can knock him down. You know I mean, he looks like he's dead to rights, and he finds a way to come back and keep fighting. So, I mean, I'm he's like a zombie, man. So, I mean, I'm just not going to bet against that guy. <laughs> That's cool. That's cool. I remember him against Steve Cunningham when he got knocked down a couple of times in MSG. And to see where he is now, and he obviously learned, didn't he? Because Cunningham went up, up the weight to go and fight him. And I was like, this guy's not up to it. Well, he's proven me wrong. See who he's been in with. And it's, it's incredible, man. It's incredible. Are you, um, are you aware of Daniel Dubois out of the UK? I'm not. I'm not. I guess he, I should be. He's like the modern day Frank Bruno top. And he's, uh, he's on the BT Sport events. He's another one to watch. He, check him out. He, he's going to be pushing Fury. He's going to be... He's going to be up there. The guy, the guy's got power. He's only 23, 24. And I can really see him making a big, big mark on the heavyweight division. Anyway. <laughs> I'm just happy. I'm just happy, you know, because, look, when I, growing up, you know, I was there. I grew up in the, in the, the Mike Tyson, the Evander Holyfield, the Lennox Lewis, the Riddick Bow, <laughs> where the heavyweight division was just stacked. And there was these huge heavyweight prize fights. So I'm just so happy that there's, you know, talented 
and colorful and marketable heavyweights again, because to me, that's just, I mean, yes, it's a sweet science, the lower weight classes, you know, are, you'll see some incredible fights, some great sprints, but I want to see heavyweights throwing bombs, you know? It's, it's nice. It's nice having all these guys at the top end as well. There's so much, so many fight opportunities now, which we haven't had for years, because the Klitschko's just ruled the roost, didn't they, for so long. It was boring. It was boring, wasn't it? No one came through. So it, it's nice. It's nice. So I'm going to get back to you now, and I go, I'm going to go right back. When did you begin watching pro wrestling? As early as I remember. Uh, the first like kind of vivid memory I have of it, I mean, I probably would have been... I want to say maybe six or seven years old and we were over at my you know grandmother's house and my brother's like flipping through the channels and it was you know it was Saturday morning you know wrestling was on and it was Andre the Giant was in a handicap match against like three you know jobbers three enhancement talents and just got them all three in the corner and doing the shoulder blocks and stacked them up and sat on them in the middle of the ring and just like waved. And I'm like, you know, I'm like, what is this? You know? And, and then I remember seeing the commercials for the old LJN WWF uh, wrestling superstars figures, the rubber ones that you, you know, you, you know, the, like Jesse Ventura was like this, I'm like, well, how do you wrestle <laughs> you know, you punch? Um, but I mean, I just remember getting hooked and I went out, you know, would like collect, got all of those. I still have them to this day. And I, and then I just would watch it you know, religiously and just fell in love with it, you know? And so that would have been, uh, you know, like 84, 85. So again, right at the kind of the dawning of the Hulkamania era. And uh, it was fun, man. I just, I, I remember, I love, that's why I get such a kick. I know maybe you haven't seen the product yet, but the last couple of weeks on primetime live, the way the show has started is with these, very Saturday night's main event style quick promos where they shoot it in front of a green screen and they'll put like a character kind of related background, you know, like Trevor Murdoch had like a trailer park. Yeah. And like Thunder Rosa had like a spider web, yeah. you know, cause th that, that's how Saturday night's main event started, which is, and this array of characters, and then it was always Hogan at the end, and rah, you know, and then to Saturday Night's Main Event, and so that's how we've opened the show, which that was my favorite show as a kid, because on the weekends and stuff, you'd get a lot of squash matches and stuff building up, because live event business was really more important than TV back then, so they would build guys, and then on the live event loop, well, now you can see champion Hulk Hogan defending against Kamala at the LA Sports Arena, whatever. But Saturday Night's Main Event gave you those big pay-per-view style matches. It was on NBC, and it was on at like 11.30 at night. I just remember being a kid and staying up late to watch it and being so excited. So when we adapted that kind of throwback promo style to start Primetime Live, I just I loved it, you know. What's old is new again. Yes. That, gets, that gets bandied around a lot, but it, it, work, it works. Like as with, um, with NWA, with Power. Yeah, the studio environment, absolutely. I love it. I love it. What were some of your favorite matches during the 80s and 90s? I'll open that one up to you. Sure. Um, you know, I I went to WrestleMania 2 
which was split into three venues. But I was in L.A. where it was Hulk and Bundy in the cage. Uh, so that was kind of cool to be at live. But back then, I mean, obviously, you know, uh, Hogan and Andre was just larger than life. I mean, for my money, that's still the biggest moment in wrestling history. Hogan Slam and Andre, 93,000 people. Same event, you know, Macho Man and Ricky the Dragon mm -hmm. Steamboat was incredible. Uh, the first kind of NWA match that really um, I got turned on to was a Clash of the Champions ran again directly against WrestleMania 4. And I didn't have access, I didn't have pay-per-view and stuff at my house yet. So, or I think it was on Showtime, maybe something like that, WrestleMania 4. So I watched uh, Sting and Ric Flair in Clash of the Champions. And it was like, man, this is, you know, it was just a phenomenal, phenomenal match. Um, the whole year-long build between, from WrestleMania 4 to 5 of uh, the Mega Powers exploding, I thought it was some of the best storytelling that's ever been done. It seems now that, you know, feuds start and end like that. There's mm -hmm. pay-per-views every month. Back then when you had the Big Four, when you had um, – you know, WrestleMania, SummerSlam, Survivor Series, Royal Rumble, you really could build longer lasting feuds. And the fact that, you know, Hogan and Macho kind of got to simmer for an entire year and then boil over. Um, that one I remember uh, really loving uh, in terms of like technical matches, you know, the, the Flair Steamboats, uh, Bret Hart and uh, Mr. Perfect at SummerSlam. Yeah. Phenomenal, yeah, phenomenal up. match. Brett and Bulldog I was getting <laughs> yeah. Brett and Bulldog getting to headline uh, SummerSlam and Wembley for the Intercontinental title was really cool. Great match. You know, I mean, there's, there's so many, you know, there's, there's so many, but I just, I love that. I love that era. Even, you know, talking to like Brett, even like Brett and Piper at WrestleMania eight, I think, you know, that was probably Piper's best technical wrestling match of all time. Um, you know, but I just, I love that era. Savage, I just thought was, I mean, such an incredible performer that could do it all. So colorful, great promo, and then could back it up in the ring too, you know. He wasn't the biggest guy, but on, on screen with the persona, it, just, it was just the explosion of color, wasn't it? What you used to hear is the tires and the ring and everything. I, I was a bit, when he was heel, I hated him. You know what it's like when you're a kid? <laughs> you don't, you don't appreciate the heels. Obviously you get older. You start appreciating the heels, yes. don't you? I watch yeah. DiBiase's matches now, and it's like my my whole psyche is different, you know. And it all yeah. makes it all makes sense. So, that's yeah, that. Million Dollar Man was awesome too. Yeah, it really was. It's just incredible, incredible time. Who do you think was underutilized during that time? Who could have been bigger, but he didn't quite make it, in your opinion? Um, I would say maybe you know a DiBiase. Mm. Could have had a run. He would have been a great heel champion. I know he had it for a minute when Andre, you know, won it on the main event and gave it to DiBiase, but then it was vacated. Um, you know, Mr. Perfect is another one that I thought could have had a run. Rick Rude. Those are those are like three guys that I think definitely could have had a run with the with the WWE title, and it would have been, you know, would have been great. Thoughts on the tag teams back then. Uh, just, it was, they were great stuff. I love, you know, I just, I, the, just, I mean, come on, the British Bulldogs, the Hart Foundation, uh, you know, the Horsemen, Tully and Arn, and then the Brain Busters in WWE, uh, the Road Warriors, the Legion of Doom. I mean, it was great, man. Tag team wrestling was alive and well back then. 
Who inspired you to become a commentator? I think Gorilla I might know. Gorilla Monsoon. <laughs> I, I had to ask. I had an inkling it'd be Gorilla. Gorilla Monsoon. Yeah. Uh, I just I loved Gorilla's calls, and he had such a, just a mastery of it. And he, I don't know, he brought almost like a calm to it. Like he just, he knew so much and it just like, I just loved listening to him call matches and then the way he'd break down. I mean, it's like, I always talk about, you get an education as a kid, as a wrestling fan, you know, how many, you know, seven-year-old kids know the know about the lower lumbar region? Well, I did, you know, cause like, Hey, I'm a, he's attacking the lower lumbar region. <laughs> Oh, you hit him right in the uh, external occipital protuberance. I mean, I remember that today because that gorilla, you know, would would talk about stuff like that and break down the anatomy. And I mean, he just had so many legendary calls, the irresistible force meeting the immovable object. Um, so I think I definitely pull from gorilla a lot. Uh, I liked Vince, dude, back then. I liked Vince, I liked Vince on yeah. Saturday night's main event and stuff really? just because of his manic energy. You know, it was just like, ah, it was, it was fun. So how they, how they could change it back then because you had Jesse the body. Yeah. You know I mean, no, and there was great. You know, I love that you'd have, you know, you would, and, and obviously Gorilla and, and Bobby Heenan had great uh, chemistry, but Vince and Jesse were really fun on Saturday night's main event because you would have, you know, Vince, like he's about to jump out of his skin, you know, of like, one, two, we got him. No, we didn't get him. What a maneuver. Ah, you know? and then you'd have Jesse like, come on, McMahon. I don't know how you cheer for this guy. And it was like, it was just great. It was so much fun. Good times. Alfred Alfred Hayes and Sean ah. Mooney, Coliseum Video, and obviously Sil Silver, oh. Silver Vision over here in the UK, but obviously yes. Coliseum Video. I used to love, I used to love listening to them on the releases. It was something different, wasn't it? They, they brought a lot to the table. Underrated, in my opinion. Very much, very they, much. They deserve and, some plaudits. Yeah, they then they were really fun hosting those, and they had a lot of banter and stuff. And no, and then they, you know, they would have different themed ones. They would have, uh, you know, world tour and super tape and all these different collections, and and they were great. And to this day, I remember as a kid, I'd be so sad when I would hear. Promotional consideration paid for by the following because it's like, ah, the show's over. You know, I'd get so bummed out that, that. but I loved hearing out Lord Alfred because it was just hilarious. It was cool, cool for us over here in the UK having him on, on the shows. It, it, yeah. yeah, full circle for us. It's great, man. Todd, what are your tips for budding commentators, announcers, people that want to get into it, got an interest in it? What would be your top tips? That's what I was going to ask you. Mm. Um, helps to be a fan you know you got to care about it you got to really uh, you know you, it's it's obvious when it's fabricated i mean to this day when i call a match i'm i'm a fan first and foremost i'm excited the energy is real i don't have to force it um and do do your research know the guys spend the time if you're if you are calling a show get with the talent and talk about what's their psychology going into this match what's some of their things they've been working on you know, they might have new names for stuff they're going to hit. Characters change and tweak. And so it's important because while the wrestlers are telling the story in the ring, we need to echo that and fill in the little things that they can't tell physically. Um, so it's an important job. You know, it's not just sitting there calling moves. It's storytelling. Uh, in terms of, you know, certain things, you just you have to you have to follow the ebb and flow with your energy. 
You can't, you can't just be here the whole time and be monotone. You can't just be here and be crazy the whole time. When, you know, if some, if they're grappling, you, you break it down. And then if there's, you know, a big power move or a high risk move, then you need to flow with that action, especially right now with no crowds. Uh, a couple of the other things just that I've learned along the way, they always say, be careful with pronouns, you know, pronouns, pal. Uh, so the he's, she's, they, you know, refer to the talent by name every time as much as possible. Uh, the other thing that was always ingrained in me is uh, don't ever gloss over a pin. No matter what you're saying, if somebody goes for a cover, you have to stop and call it because if you don't, you're basically saying, okay, the match isn't ending here. Anytime somebody goes for a pin, the match could end and you have to treat it with that seriousness and you have to call it. So, um, you know, there's, there's that, um, sometimes just letting it breathe. Like if there's a big moment, uh, when there is a crowd and the crowd's chanting or something, you know, your reaction, if somebody goes through a table or something, your reaction is just yell and scream and go crazy, hit it, call the move and then lay out because let the, let the atmosphere speak for itself. You know, let's hear those crowds chanting. Let's hear that pop from the crowd. It doesn't need to be wall to wall talking all the time from the commentary team. So, I mean, those are just some of the, some of the basics. Todd Kennelly's tips. Thank you for sharing them. I appreciate that. Appreciate that. Yeah. Right. Todd, where can we find you in terms of social media? And if you can plug prime time as well for the viewers and the listeners. Yeah, of course. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Todd Kennelly. It's right there under me. Uh, Instagram at T Kennelly. And I'm on Facebook as well. And I try to be pretty responsive. If you hit me up, I'll try and get back to you. Uh, Primetime Live every Tuesday uh, on Fight TV. It's available. That's the way. To, I mean, it's on traditional pay-per-view as well. But, I mean, Fight's really the way to do it uh, because each episode's, you know, $7.99. Or if you get the four-episode bundle, it's $23.99. And, I, you know, I think you're definitely getting your money's worth there. Over the four weeks, you know, Aldis defended the world title against Mike Bennett. Thunder Rosa defended the NWA World's Women's title against Priscilla Kelly. That I mean, that was an incredible match. It's a classic. Um, we, you know, we've had a great variety, some great uh, women's matches, some great tag team matches, hard-hitting stuff, championships from different promotions being defended. Guys like Hammerstone, who's the uh, national openweight champion in MLW, but defended the West Coast Pro title on our first episode. So it's one of those things next week. Uh, uh, Fred Rosser, who's Darren young, who yeah. is now in uh, wrestling for new Japan is going to wrestle uh, Chris masters. So that should be, you know, interesting uh, power match. It's one of those things like you just, you, you don't know who's going to come through, through the door. We had Trevor Murdoch uh, making history, finally getting his hands on the NWA national champion. Uh, championship after you know kind of chasing Aaron Stevens and that was cool too because that was a feud that had built for a long time in power and then everything shut down and I'm just glad we got to pay it off for the fans and give them that match on primetime so check us out and also again you know do a deep dive watch some championship wrestling from Hollywood on fight I think you'll like what you see uh, it's it's a traditional you know everybody loved power when it debuted to a lot of fanfare and rightfully so, but David Marquez, who's, who's on power, um, you know, he's been doing studio wrestling for 10 years mm -hmm. and that's what championship wrestling from Hollywood 
really is. So if you like power, you'll like the Hollywood show and check it out. Plenty of content, plenty of content for that as well. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. My guest today for Stu's Wrestling Podcast, play-by-play commentator, Mr. Todd Kennelly. Thank you ever so much for sparing the time, man. Pleasure having you on. Big fan. Of course. Yeah, you got it. Fight on, everybody. This episode is brought to you in association with Powered 4 TV. So go and check them out for anything wrestling-related, old events, new events when we come out of COVID, podcasts, you name it. It's all there at Powered 4 TV. So find them across social media. Podcast Network.